Thanks for downloading Dark Histories. Before we start, I just want to throw out a few ways that you can get involved and help support the show. We have a Patreon, Amazon Booklist, Coffee, and Audible affiliate link. So if you're interested in supporting, hopefully you can find a way that best suits you. All of the links for those things can be found either in the show notes or over on the website at darkhistories.com. Of course, just continuing to spread the word about the show on social media, leaving reviews and sharing with all your family and friends is also a huge help. So thank you to everyone for all that. All right, enough of this. Let's crack on with the episode. Hello, welcome to Dark Histories. And what is, I guess, the season finale for 2019, which is pretty mad. End of season three. Uh, it's about 73-ish episodes, I think, now, which is probably about 72 more than I ever expected to make. So I thought I'd make this little kind of introduction to this episode because uh, last week we got featured on uh, Pocket Casts, and that was really great, but we got quite a lot of new listeners from Pocket Casts who are probably going to be totally out of the loop and not really understand that, welcome, and I'm really glad to have you all, but now is actually my, like from this week on, is is kind of where I break for the year. Because most podcasts, they, they, they seem to break in the summer um, and then have like a sort of month off in the summer. But but Dark Histories has it off in the winter instead because my real life job, I'm a, if you've listened to the show for a while, you'll know that I'm a, I'm a women's hairstylist. So um, this time of year for me is, very much a struggle to get anything else done other than real life work because um christmas yeah so i take my time off i I sort of end my season now and take my time off in december so this episode so we have this little introduction but the episode itself will be basically pop in a patron bonus episode and yeah also explain a little bit about what's coming up although it is my break i i just enjoy doing dark histories so, yeah, although there's a break, um, there's a couple of things coming up. I'll be back for the start of season four, first week of January. But throughout the break, I'm going to be revisiting a couple of the older episodes from like season one, things like that, that have had um, quite a bit of new information come to light since I only covered them. Because despite their age, like some of these cases that we cover are um, still being like uh, actively investigated. So, yeah, I'm going to go back um, and cover, uh, sort of, not not redo them as such, but just revisit them and just talk a little bit about the new stuff that's come up, uh, discuss some of the new kind of revelations and new uh, information. So we're going to be doing that throughout December. And also, of course, there's going to be the Christmas bonus episode, which for anyone that's not heard it before, it's my kind of sad attempt at reinvigorating a dead, well, I think it's dead, but like a really old tradition of of telling kind of creepy stories on Christmas Eve. So yeah, um, basically what I ask listeners to do, if you've got a, a, a kind of real life story that's about kind of ghosts, creepy stuff, anything that sort of fits with Dark History's theme, um, send it in to me and I'll narrate it and release it, I think usually the 23rd of December. If you do want to get involved with that, there's all sorts of ways you can send your story to me. Um, email is probably the easiest way, uh, which is contact at darkhistories.com. But you can also do it through the social media or you can leave a voice message or 
pretty much whatever you want. Just, uh, you know, go on the Discord and you can message me on there. But yeah, email is probably the easiest. All of those things you can find on darkhistories.com. Uh, ways like all the social media and stuff so ways to contact me uh, we've had some really great submissions already so that, that's really cool say so last year was was really good so got a lot to live up to but absolutely i'm sure you're gonna smash it as always so yeah uh that's pretty much what's gonna happen in december so yeah this episode is gonna be a upload of one of the bonus episodes that i do for patron so if you're a Patreon member, you get bonus episodes and, and this is it. Thanks very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the Patreon episode. I see you all sort of sporadically throughout December. The, 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 the schedule is going to be a little bit, um, basically, I'll release those episodes that I mentioned, um, like as and when I have the time. But, you know, I'm going to try and space them out relatively easily. I just haven't worked out that schedule yet. So, yeah, it's holiday time for me now. I'm going to take four weeks off. Although I say that, I'm still going to be reading for Dark Histories and writing Dark Histories episodes. I'm just not going to be recording them. I'll see you all very soon. Enjoy the bonus episode, although it's, it's technically not a bonus episode anymore, I guess. But enjoy it all the same. Cheers. Welcome, everybody, to what is going to be the first of, for the foreseeable future, monthly bonus episodes for the patron. Uh, so, yeah, what, to explain a little bit about what this is, I suppose for ages now, I've been looking to try and, and, and make Patreon a little bit more valuable for um, our patrons, uh, you guys, uh, for supporting, just, just as a way to say thanks, really, and, and just to keep it... Um, you know, I, I want to give back to, to you all for, you know, helping support the show. And I, I couldn't think of, a, think of a really good way to do it that I could sustain. Um, because, I, you know, whole new bonus episodes of Dark Histories would just... I, I, I wouldn't have the time at the moment. But, but one thing that I did come up with, or, or, or um, actually more so, if, if you're a member of Discord, you should all be thanking Hallie who came up with this idea, actually. Um, she, uh, she mentioned basically that um, I used to do the Yesterday Today um, and I really enjoyed doing Yesterday Today. But what happened with that? So a few people, so I'll get this out of the way. So a, a few people have asked me what's going on with that. So what happened with Yesterday Today was it was great fun and I loved doing it. And I built up a big backlog and I was releasing it daily and I was on top of it. And then I got hit with that chicken pox and it mauled my backlog. And that was okay. I thought, okay, that's that's fine. What I'll do is I'll, I'll start building a new backlog. Um, so I started doing that. But then I realized that because I was releasing at the same time as essentially rebuilding the backlog, I, I, I was constantly eating into it. Whereas before I'd built my backlog before I'd even launched the kind of yesterday today kind of part of the podcast so I wasn't really working against any time if you like and, and it quickly re became apparent that anyway to the, to the point like it quickly became apparent that I 
couldn't sustain like uh, the, the, the re- level of research needed to do yesterday, today, every day. Um, and that was a real shame because, say, I really enjoyed doing it. So I, I sort of benched it and I, and I liked the idea, but I always thought I would try and, and find a way to do something similar. And that's what this is. So it, this is now going to be kind of like yesterday, today, but instead of doing daily, it will be for the month. So, like I say, these these episodes will be monthly. And so this one is October, right? So there will be all stories from October uh, throughout the last sort of several hundred years. Um, so that's kind of what it is. So this is essentially a bit like yesterday, today. If you listen to that, hopefully you'll be on familiar ground. Like I say, we're going to be doing all these stories are from October. So the first story I came across is from the Derby Mercury um, from 1800. Our readers will not be a little astonished at the following instance of misguided enthusiasm, which we are assured is literally true. And man, residing at Market Drayton, having bought a few pounds of rags on a Sabbath day, was told it had been better for him to have cut off his right hand, quoting that text, If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. The poor man, accordingly, went home and by repeated efforts, absolutely separated the offending hand below the elbow and with his remaining hand threw it from him. A second amputation by a surgeon became necessary above the elbow and he now lies dangerously ill. Still, however, he zealously affirms he has done his duty and was his right hand there again, he would cut it off. There's conviction for you. <laughs> so that's the kind of first story. If, if you haven't... Um, Say if you if you skipped yesterday the day before this is kind of the vibe. Uh, so it's all stories from the newspapers from the last several hundred years. Now, interestingly, October is a really great month to start with because of course it's Halloween, right? But if we're looking at October, it was also the real kind of heat month for Jack the Ripper in 1888 because it was um you know it started in late August and it kind of went on through to November. By October. It was really, the the press were really on fire with Jack the Ripper stuff. And even on the days when, so, you know, it would be really easy for me to fill this episode up just full of the reports of Jack the Ripper. But, you know, you've all kind of heard that story before, right? So I thought I'd look at some of the stories that were on the off days. Because there was days when it was kind of like slow news days for Jack the Ripper news. So they essentially inserted any other story, really. And as long as it was kind of related to Jack the Ripper, it was seen as, a, I suppose, as a good filler. So yeah, these are some of the stories that I found that were kind of on those off days, which were not, they're not quite as, uh, you know, quite as obvious as just just the reports on the murders and the stories that were going on. So this one's from The Globe in obviously 1888. And it's the story of, well, I'll, I'll let the headline tell you it, fatal result of a practical joke. A terribly tragic ending has followed a practical joke in which a man declared he was Jack the Ripper. A young lady named Milligan, aged 21 years of age, has died at Kilkeel, County Down, under the following circumstances. A fortnight since, Miss Milligan was out walking with two lady visitors and all three were startled by the sudden appearance of a man who, impersonating the Whitechapel monster, brandished a knife, exclaiming, I'm Jack the Ripper. During the evening, Miss Milligan became hysterical and the next day fever set in, which terminated 
fatally. The sad event has caused much sympathy with the relatives of the deceased, and the police are on the lookout for the man. Ah yes, the strike of hysterical women. <laughs> Almost our first story and our, our, our first mention of Jack the Ripper, and our straight away in there with hysterical women, which if you you might find this a bit of a shock if you're not familiar with the papers from the Victorian era, because that they basically blamed hysterics for for almost everything, and that there's medicine to cure hysterics and all sorts. I don't really even understand what it what it even entails, and and I and it's all I can think is that it, it's it's playing on that the, the, the Victorian idea that women were um, prone to sort of fainting fits and hysterics constantly, they, you know, sort of always relying on a man to kind of uh, carry their, the, the burden of, of their emotional side or, or whatever. It's, it's very, like, say it's very prominent if you read the news um, from Victorian newspapers, this idea. It's, it's absurd, really. So next, uh, the stories from the Belfast newsletter. Oh, again, it's obviously on one of those days where Jack the Ripper news was slightly slow. Sheffield on Wednesday. A coroner's inquest was held at Sheffield today on the body of Mrs. Teresa Unwin, who had committed suicide by cutting her throat. She had recently been in low spirits and was under medical treatment. On Monday last, she told her husband that she had had a dream and thought that Jack the Ripper was after her. Soon afterwards, she was found with her throat cut. A verdict of temporary insanity was returned. She committed suicide by cutting her own throat. That's savage, and I'm not sure if that's what happened. As with all of these stories, we almost never get the follow-up. And an inquest was held, and the verdict was temporary insanity. So, again, it's the... The, the unstable wife, uh, the hysterical woman uh, committing suicide, uh, which is, again, obviously typical of the time. But but I, I don't really think that's what happened. So I don't know if anyone else believes that you... I mean, committing suicide by cutting your own throat is pretty, pretty hardcore. I wonder if it's not more the husband there thinking his wife was obviously undergoing medical treatment. I, I, my, my, my initial suspicions here are that there's something a little bit more to that story. Um, but... But maybe not. Who knows? We'll never know because these stories are never, ever followed up. So our last story of Jack the Ripper comes from the Todd Morden Advertiser. On Saturday morning, about 12 o'clock, the Bradford police apprehended a young woman named Maria Coroner, 22 years of age, and mantle hand on a charge of having written a letter to the chief constable which tended to cause a breach of the peace. The letter in question was signed J. Ripper, and was a feeble imitation of the letters which are supposed to have been written by the Whitechapel murderer under the pseudonym of Jack the Ripper in London and elsewhere. The Chief Constable received the following communication on October the 15th. Dear Sir, if the Bradford Police would like to make another gallant capture, now is the time. I have arrived in Bradford for the purpose of doing a little business. Bradford is the field that requires my labour. <laughs> Of course, knowing as I do that your men are so clever, it is not necessary to give my address, nor yet describe myself minutely. I will simply state that I am here and alone, quite near to the town hall. I am, my dear sir, yours in the fight against wickedness, J. Ripper. It was written on a sheet of black-bordered notepaper, which was ribbed in a peculiar pattern. 
the handwriting was obviously that of a woman. So it's that's quite interesting because obviously when you read about Jack the Ripper, you always read that the the police and the the press were inundated with these hoaxes of of letters, but um, very few times uh, do people go into those letters because obviously they, they're just hoaxes, they're written off or whatever. And I found it interesting just how bad this one was <laughs> with the fact that it inclu- this report included the letter. I loved it when I found it because it was it's quite a, re- a kind of unique little story there for actually including the letter. But it, but it's amazing how bad it is. The idea that Jack the Ripper, who at this point had killed three people in East London, had suddenly shipped himself off to Bradford, <laughs> just randomly zipped up the country to Bradford. It, it's ridiculous to think, I mean, why would he be in Bradford all of a sudden? <laughs> but anyway, I thought that was interesting. Um, now we're going to zip across the other side of the pond because I have got American newspapers as well. And this is from the Orlando Sentinel. And this, well, is, I mean, I like to try and keep these light. But when I read this story, it's, uh, while dark is not the word. So, yeah, again, this is from the Orlando Sentinel in 1920. White cavalcade marches through the streets. Clothed in white, 500 strong, moving in silent single-file column, unhindered by any authority or curiosity, offering no explanations other than that voiced by their leader. We are marching one million strong throughout the South tonight. They came from out of the night to appear for a short while on the streets of Orlando last night, presumably a revival of that great secret organisation which guarded the honour of the South in the troubled days that followed the Civil War, the Ku Klux Klan. Silently they came, and silently they disappeared back into the night. The long column, led by three figures on horseback, clothed with no other sign of rank than the flowing white costume that enveloped every member from head to foot, wended its way very slowly and silently through the principal streets to disappear finally out Pine Street. A veil of mystery hangs over the movements of the white cavalcade, a mystery that no one on the streets volunteered to lift. With their disappearance, Orange Avenue became emptied while automobiles darted hither and fro, seeking the direction that the column had taken. Groups of people stood in silence on the various streets as the white figures filed by. An air of silent curiosity greeted the white cavalcade everywhere. I know that this stuff happened, and and maybe if you're an American listener, you might be sort of thinking like, yeah, what kind of thing at this point, but... but, Something that I find when I read the American newspapers is, is, is like how it was reported. Like, like I, obviously, I know it happened, but being distant from it, I, I didn't. I don't realize sometimes how you know it was reported on in the news and all the rest of it. It's um, yeah, really quite terrifying and, and quite dark. Um, but to counter that, this is from the Brooklyn Daily Eagle one year before, and it's of the Cheese Club which I don't know if that means cheese or cheese that means something else. I don't know if it's like literally dairy cheese. But Cheese Club entertains. Over 50 members of the Cheese Club of Bedford Council, KFC, under the leadership of Big Cheese Jim Gleason, (laughs) went on Thursday night to the Brooklyn home for consumptives and gave an entertainment to the inmates who enjoyed the performance. The club hereafter will make an annual visit to the institution 
The members expect to furnish amusement to the inmates of all the charitable institutions in this great city, regardless of race or creed. So there we go. That kind of counters the nastiness of the, the white cavalcade. You've got the cheese club. Uh, and, and that was a year earlier. So that kind of makes me feel a little bit better. But I, I don't understand what the cheese club was. I, I, they can't be, surely they weren't entertaining with a piece of Wensleydale, right? Like that was, that, that's a name for something else that I'm, like it's a slang for something that I'm, I'm missing. So if you know what that's slang for, please do get in touch and let me know. Because all I know is that Big Cheese Jim Gleason probably didn't crack out his Red Leicester cheese and start slicing it up in front of these consumptives and, and singing a little song whilst he did so. I, I, I can't see that. But maybe he did. I don't know. Let me know. This one, we're coming back across to England now. The Illustrated Police News from 1896. The Illustrated Police News, for anyone that's not familiar, I mean, they did that whole episode on the Illustrated Police News, but it's usually quite tongue-in-cheek. A lot of it's quite... It's it's like a red top of today, you know. It's it's definitely the, the tabloid guff of today. But this story is called The Boy Highwayman. At the Yarmouth Police Court last week, a pale, diminutive boy named Daniel King, aged eight, had to meet no lesser charge than that of highway robbery. On Saturday, King bailed up a boy two years his junior, whom he had reason to suppose was in possession of a sum of money that was worth robbing. His threats and intimidation were successful, and the unfortunate victim yielded up his purse, which, when examined by the eight-year-old desperado, (laughs) contained exactly one shilling and ninepence the result of a payment made to his father for the repair of some boots. King, forthwith, spent one shilling of this in sweets, (laughs) and with a carelessness that is characteristic of the bold highwayman, he lost the balance of ninepence. The same afternoon, King had appropriated a lady's purse, which he had abstracted from her pocket with the art of an old stager. The magistrates were unequal to the occasion and remanded the infant highwayman for a week, so that they may devise a cure for his precocious vice. I love that. It's that he stole the money and then spent it on sweets. And this is a story that they, they think it makes him a highwayman. It's just classic. It's, it's, it's kind of like if you're a highwayman in the bubblegum world. <laughs> but next up, we're sticking with the Illustrated Police News. And we're going back to 1894 here. So it's uh, a little bit earlier and a story called A Blood Mania. A remarkable case came before the West Sussex Sessions at Chichester on Thursday when George Holland, 22, a labourer, was indicted for maliciously killing a lamb. The animal was found in a field with its throat cut and the act was traced to the prisoner who at first denied it but afterwards said, I don't know what made me do it. Something came over me that I wanted to see blood run. And after I did it, I felt better. Mr. Evershed, surgeon of Arundel, deposed that he had known the prisoner from infancy. In his childhood, he had suffered from epileptic fits. The witness believed that he was now afflicted with blood mania. He might be seized with a sudden impulse to see blood flow at any time, and if he could not get at any sheep or others of the lower animals, he would probably attack a human being. That was a monomania with the prisoner, who was apparently sane upon every other subject. It was stated that the slaughter of eight sheep had been traced to the prisoner. The jury found the prisoner guilty 
and he was ordered to be detained in Broadmoor Criminal Lunatic Asylum during Her Majesty's pleasure. So that's a story. I mean, blood mania, is that a real thing? I don't think it's a thing we have today, is it? But, but what I found most interesting was that, you know, where they caught him and he said, I don't know what made me do it. Something came over me that I wanted to see blood run. And after I did it, I felt better. So that's his quote, right? It makes it seem like it was the first time it happened. And then it goes on to say, oh, by the way, he'd done this eight times previously. Yeah, so it, it's, yeah, I thought that was quite, that was quite funny. Um, anyway, next up, we're going to go all the way to Australia because I found an Australian newspaper, which is great because I've never had too many Australian newspapers. But I found this one in the Sydney Morning Herald uh, from 1946, an advertisement for popular books of today. So these were the most popular books in October 1946 in the Sydney Morning Herald. The first one was called Skeleton Out of the Cupboard by Valentine Williams. And the synopsis goes as such. Skeleton Out of the Cupboard by Valentine Williams is a Mr. Treadgold story, the type of many-sided mystery irresistible to anyone with this Savile Row tailor's propensity to look into things which cross my way. The next up, we've got Winter Meeting by Ethel Vance. And it's the story of a brief love affair of a sensitive and intelligent poetess with a handsome and superficially vulgar young hero with a spectacular war record. Doesn't that just sound full of vice? But if that, you think that sounds like it could be full of vice, we've got positively the next up, which is, I mean, that one, Winter Meeting by Ethel Vance, is pretty much Fifty Shades kind of material, right? So next up, we've got just the pure filth, clearly. The Island Forbidden to Man by Muriel Wine, is an unusual novel of a feminist community. One man after another breaks the rule that forbids landing on the island with unforeseen and exciting results. Unforeseen, really? I think we can all foresee exactly what's going to happen there. <laughs> and I very much doubt that it will be that exciting either from 1946. So anyway, with that done and out of the way, I'm going to leave you with this story. In fact, I'm not going to leave you. We're going to wrap, wrap up our stories with this little number from Ipswich Journal from 1787, which is almost as early as I can possibly go back, give or take 50 odd years. And when you get back this early, the newspapers go a little bit off the rails, to be honest. They're, they're really hard work to look through. Most of them only have two or four pages and that they, they tend to sort of report they get very heavy reporting just kind of European courts, like letters from the European courts. Uh, so it'll be like uh, a letter written all about some gossip of some prince from some European country uh, or, or something like that. Um, they get quite heavily political, but, but politics, which don't really seem to matter <laughs> very much, occasionally you get the kind of local news, which is, really what I'm looking for and 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 when you do they're, they're generally gold so this I thought was just a really happy story to kind of wrap up the, the, the stories for October we hear that a young lady of some rank and genteel fortune in a neighboring place has lately eloped with a foreign dancing master under whose learned tuition her fond parents placed her some months ago the enamored pair evaded all pursuit by disguising themselves in the garb of a showman and his boy and from certain circumstances, it would seem they took the road to Waterford, from whence a vessel sailed for Havre de Grasse, two days after their flight. 
the lady, it is said, will inherit a fortune of £300 a year with two cool thousands left by an uncle on her arriving at the age of 21, of which she wants but a few months. So I thought that was kind of a happy fun story just to, leave, to wrap up our kind of stories. I love the fact that it's all a bit blackadder with the, the, the disguising as a showman and his boy. It all gets very blackadder there, doesn't it? It very much reminded me of Bob. So anyway... To wrap this all up, the final part of the October episode. So back in the Victorian period, they used to serialise a lot of fiction in newspapers. <clears throat> the, the weekly newspapers especially had like uh, serialised fictions. Uh, and, and some of them are quite long, uh, but I've managed to find a shorter one and, and a series of shorter ones. Um, I found a newspaper basically that, that runs quite short fictions. Uh, so I thought because now these are going to be monthly episodes, we'll have a serialised Victorian fiction. So here we go. Now, I haven't read ahead, so I don't know what's coming. All I've read is this first chapter, because I this is obviously what I, I wrote up for the script. So I'm going to learn the story as, as you guys hear it. So if this story is terrible, then we'll find out in about, you know, a few months you know, let's just go with it and see what happens. So this is from 1880, October in 1880, from the Illustrated Sporting and Dramatic News, and it's called The Ghost's Last Shot, A Story for the Winter Fireside by A.H. Whale. And this is chapter one. Once upon a time, when the year was 1848, the month December and the day one of the coldest I remember, my friend John Lindsay well known under his assumed name as actor and artist, was riding with myself in an out-of-the-way part of a northern English county. We had lost our way in a labyrinth of intricate lanes and narrow grass-grown roads, and the cold, dim grey light was beginning to fade into darkness as we emerged upon an open moor, one of the flattest and most extensive in the country. There was nothing living to be seen but ourselves and our horses. The sky overhead was one monotonous expanse of murky cloud. Snow was deep upon the earth, the keen icy wind due east and over the ocean-like plain, shut in by drifting mist, reigned a solitude and silence so profound and death-like as to inspire us with the most oppressive, gloomy feeling of awe. I looked with dismay at John. John looked with dismay at me. Which way now, said I despondingly. I think that, said John, after a pause of hesitation, jerking his thumb back over his shoulder. I think that, said I decidedly, pointing immediately before us. Let's toss for it, cried he, in despair. My fingers are all thumbs with the cold, said I, and I don't believe I could get a coin from pocket or purse if my life hung upon it. I thought you knew the country. This I said reproachfully. I thought I did too, said John, dolefully. Then where the deuce are we? Well, this is Witherington Moor, and there is, or ought to be, a village somewhere near us, down in a hollow about well. Somewhere about here stands that desolate old haunted mansion you heard us speaking of at breakfast this morning, Witherington Grange. If we could only light upon that, the village is close by, and there it would be our better plan, perhaps, to find shelter for the night. Shelter for the night? Why, how far are we from the squires? Well, you see, that's just it. If this is, and I feel sure it must be, Witherington Moor, 
We've been riding from instead of to the hall for the last three hours. The devil we have, and you said you knew the country, thus spoke I angrily. I thought I did, was John's meek response. So we jogged on in silence. We did not light upon the grange, but we did luckily reach the little old village which derived its name from it. And there in due time, we were installed in the best parlour of the village inn before a large wood fire, refreshing the inner man with a somewhat homely but certainly substantial meal. The room in which we sat was wainscoted with shining panels of dark oak. Great beams of the same wood, but unpolished, stretched across the low ceiling. Heavy red curtains shut out the cold and darkness, and some stag's horns, a few coarsely coloured old hunting prints in worm-eaten old-fashioned frames with a very long, low-looking glass over the chimney piece were its decorations. The white floor was sanded, the tables and chairs were highly polished and gleamed in the firelight, and there was an air of cleanness, snugness and comfort about the place which we thoroughly appreciated. The meal being finished, we invited our landlord to join us over a social glass and pipe. He was a tall, broad-shouldered, portly man with a pleasant smile and a kindly eye to whom we both felt attracted, and he was as genial in his honest speech as in his looks. After a long cold ride, it was quite delightful to sit there in the warm firelight glow with limbs outstretched and pipes alight, and glasses of first-rate whiskey hot and strong upon the table, listening to that good old fellow's cheerful talk. In the course of the conversation that ensued, I should like, said I, to know something about the haunted grange of which we heard so much at the squires this morning. Is it far from here? You may reach it in a quarter of an hour, said the landlord. Does anyone live in it now? asked Jack. The landlord replied, For the last twenty years it's been the residence of a childless old widow lady, Mrs. Grandstone, the only daughter of the last squire Witherington, who died thirty-eight years ago, killed as his father, his grandfather and his great-grandfather were, by a sound. Killed by a sound? exclaimed Jack. How? by the sound of the ghost shot. The ghost shot, said I, laughing. The ghost bullet, I suppose you mean. There's never any bullet to be found, said the landlord gravely. Only the sound of a gun or pistol shot, which always kills. Afterwards, returning to the subject, he told us that this curious old mansion, which gave the moor and the village its name, had been in the possession of the Witheringtons ever since the days of King Edward IV, that for the best part of a century, it had been falling into a state of neglect and ruin, and that on the 21st of December, in one year or another, at five o'clock in the evening, never before or after that date and that hour, the sound of an unseen gun, fired by no mortal hand, preceded the immediate death of one or another member of the family, either on the spot or in some other place or country. It's a strange story, added he, but everyone about here seems to have the most profound faith in it. Have you ever seen this haunted grange? said I to my companion. Never, said he. Then look here, said I. It is now half past four o'clock. The date is December the 21st. What do you say? Should we go and listen for the ghost shot? Agreed, cried John. That sets us up for the rest of the story, which we will hear next chapter two of. 
next month. So yes, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the bonus episode. Um, These are, I say, going to be monthly from now on. So uh, yeah, I will see you all. Oh, uh, (laughs) about the release schedule. I'll release them on the first off week of the month because I don't see the point in releasing them at the same time as an episode. So like a Dark Histories episode. So I'll release it on the first off week of the month, uh, every month. So yes, uh, look forward to that. Uh, Thank you very much for your support always. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks very much. Cheers.